kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to a very special Vintage Video Patreon pick, where our patrons at the $100 tier are invited to request any pre-80s title they'd like for a custom review from the Vintage Video team, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today, Donovan Moser has asked us to review White Lightning. Released August 8th, 1973, it was written by William W. Norton, directed by Joseph Sargent, and released by United Artists. The first draft of William Norton's original script was called McCluskey, which was later changed to McCluskey, <laughs> spelled differently, Okay. on the way to White Lightning, a nickname for Moonshine. I wasn't sure when I started this movie. I mean, it became evident like halfway through. What like, White Lightning meant? Well, because the opening scene of the movie, he's like booking it out of a prison in a white outfit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, he's the White Lightning. He's just running yeah. real fast. He just turns into a lightning you know, bolt. And then like I'm that like, gremlin. okay, maybe that wasn't it. And then I expected his car to be white. And then his car wasn't white. And then I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's the liquor. I get yeah. it. But, but then there was a car that said White Lightning. In the junkyard. And he didn't drive it. And he didn't drive. I was like, you, what? Yeah, you're expecting this car to follow him around like Bumblebee and just <laughs> open its doors and tap on him. The film was planned to be the directorial debut of Mr. Steven Spielberg. He spent several months in pre-production on the project, but eventually abandoned it because he didn't want to start his feature film career as a journeyman director and switched to Sugarland Express. This was Burt Reynolds' first collaboration with legendary stunt coordinator Hal Needham, When a sequel was greenlit for a 1976 release, Reynolds made the sequel entitled Gator his directorial debut and brought Needham back for the stunts. Needham would go on to direct both Smokey and the Bandits, Hooper, and both Cannonball Run films for what would become the most popular stretch of Reynolds' filmography. Yeah, this was very reminiscent of the... Yeah, very similar story. Other movies, but, you know, I hadn't seen this one, so... Well, this one also is a lot more dramatic than those. They're very straight comedy. They're more goofy, yeah. Um, But even Gator is a comedy compared to this. It's it's mostly jokes. There's not a lot of serious stuff. There's heisty scenes, and there's, like, they have to break into a building with a cat lady and bring all of her cats for some reason. (laughs) It's very weird. And you have Jerry Reed stepping in to replace the Bo Hopkins character that we have here. And Jerry Reed obviously follows him into the Smokey and the Bandit films. And I could easily say that I thought that was Jerry Reed throughout all I of White I did too. <laughs> the first time I sat and watched it, I was like, wait, who is Bo Hopkins in this? And then I looked it up and was like, that's not Jerry Reed? Because <laughs> it's such a Jerry Reed character. But uh, yeah. And during his cameo as himself on the FX series Archer, Burt Reynolds has pitched a Gator sequel. Gator was a sequel. I know, and this will be the final chapter in the McCluskey trilogy. Trilogy? Yeah, with huh. with twice as many airboats as Gator. Twice as many would be none. What are you talking about? Gator had... Speedboats, not airboats. Really? Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I directed it. We start in Arkansas Swampland. Two cops are paddling across the water towing a second boat with two younger men bound and gagged. The young men struggle against their bindings, but in a shady section of water, the paddling cops slow to a stop. Closer now, we can see one of them is Ned Beatty. Beatty cocks his shotgun and shoots a hole in the second boat before cutting it loose and the bound men panic silently and disappear under the water with their boat. 
We cut to an auto shop where a shirtless Burt Reynolds as Gator McCluskey works on an engine. This garage actually looks a lot like the one we saw earlier this season at the start of Cannonball Run, where Dom DeLuise first tells Burt about the race. His boss, Mr. Sims, shows up and lets him know that his cousin is here with some bad news. He finds his cousin Luella in a cafeteria, and she explains through tears that his younger brother Donnie has been killed. I thought he was killed. Down in Bogan County. Who killed him, Luella? I'm not sure. Gator's dad thinks the sheriff killed Donnie for his history of local protesting. Sometime later, we see Gator laying in a bed in jail, and a warden tells him it's time to get back to work on that car. When he gets too close, Gator loses it on the man and beats him up against the wall of the prison. He leaves the man unconscious on the floor, and we get a familiar clip on the soundtrack that I recognize mostly from its reuse in Kill Bill. Yeah, I as soon as I heard this music, I, I was like, it, was this in Kill Bill? Yeah, like because this is a favorite of Tarantino's, it turns out. The lax nature of this facility allows Gator to walk right out the door unquestioned, but eventually, a watchman on the wall picks up a phone to check and see if it's okay for Gator to be scaling a fence to escape. A manhunt <laughs> is quickly underway, and Gator is cornered maybe a couple miles from the prison tops. Gator, where in the hell you think you're going? So does this happen all the time? Like I was a little, no. I was a little confused by the fact that they seemed confused about this. It's like, wait, should he be doing that? I think this is a very low security prison for people who are not necessarily risky inmates. And the mm -hmm. only reason that he's changed his tune is because he immediately wants to avenge what happened to his brother. Yeah, yeah, I get his motivation, but I get, like the guard's reaction was a little weird. <laughs> I think they just like him. Okay. I think he's they get along and he's been a decent prisoner to them. And they're just like, you know, if he's climbing over the fence, it must be because someone threw a ball over or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the logic there. We cut to Gator ditch digging in a chain gang. Mr. Sims tells him he's supposed to be out in a year and he can avenge his brother then, but there's no point in trying to escape early. Gator strikes a deal. He offers his services working undercover in a sting operation with the feds to nail the same sheriff for running Moonshine, who he suspects of having killed his brother. The feds lecture him on what constitutes useful evidence, and he is briefed more on the sheriff's file on his way to freedom. They make the deal with him, though. Yeah. He's gifted a well-tuned automobile with instructions to get the sheriff's attention and get hired as a runner for the man's illicit business. He gets to work immediately, blasting through a small town at the fast car's top speed and getting and losing the attention of a police cruiser. Th this reminds me, like, what was that movie we watched? Where they give the, I think, well, it was, I think it was Condor Man, where I'm like, you're just going to give some random dude, like, really expensive equipment right. to go mm -hmm. do something for the police. Yeah, and and they, like, gave him a full custom paint job for his fake superhero. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really understand how how this whole, like, if you're in prison, yeah, and, and you could just say, hey, I'll be an informant for the FBI. I think so. Can you just do that? I think if they trust him and they don't think that he's just trying to weasel his way out of a sentence that they're like, okay, if you want to turn state's evidence, because I get the impression that he was offered this as an out before mm. and he didn't take it because he's not a snitch, basically. Right. But he's come to a point where he's like, if I can just nail this sheriff and avenge my brother at the same time, then fuck it. I'll cooperate with you guys. I have questions about this arrangement later. Sure. <laughs> As he flies through town, a marquee in the background advertises a screening of Charlton Heston's 1972 film, Skyjacked. Skyjacked? I hope that's in one of our Patreon polls for the year. <laughs> and I hope it's just him up on an airplane exercising. Okay, that's much better than I was thinking. 
She's like, does this count as a mile high club? Just by myself in here. Oh, no, stop. Gator is quickly spotted by a pair of teen girls, Cheryl Lynn and Kip, who are clearly hot for him. He tells them he's headed to see his folks, and the dialogue fades out to be replaced with a somber bit of score. Not teen girls. No. No? Definitely in their, like, 20s. Like, mm-hmm. they went to high school together or something. And, and one of them knows him. Yeah, like, right. they, they know who he is. They are of age, at least, and they are acquainted having hung out together before. I didn't think that the younger Kip of the two of them was of age. Okay, well, maybe the younger one Because wasn't. she's like, I'm so-and-so's younger sister, and he's like, oh, you didn't even have boobs last time I saw you. Fine, but I'm just saying that she's probably she's probably close to if not legal but the the older one definitely like spent time with this guy and knew who he was so he's yeah. got to be over 18 no she doesn't <laughs> <laughs> just because she spent time with him doesn't mean she's of legal age and then they do there's a lot of weird editing choices in this movie but where they're having a conversation and they it just, just fades out they just fade the audio out while they're still talking <laughs> and i was like what if this isn't important, then why are we even doing yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was going to be, it was going to lead to a montage of him just like chatting up the town, but it's not. It's just the sad music comes in and they cut to the next scene. Or at least sex. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was just going to be him in bed with one or both of these ladies. I'd be like, all right, yeah, because he's been in prison. Yeah. Like, this is what you do. This is what guys do when they get out of prison. <laughs> That's what, what they what do. You do. This is what Richard did when he got out. Later, he parks outside his folks' place, and they're clearly happy to see him, but they get real quiet when he asks what happened to Donnie because they don't want him to die on the path to revenge. Papa is all smiles until he learns the exact plan that his son intends to go undercover and get good-hearted moonshiners in trouble in pursuit of the sheriff. His parents are both disappointed to find their son has turned informant as a part of his revenge strategy. We cut to a dirt racetrack, and Gator pulls up in his fancy tuned-up car to check in with a mechanic named Dude Watson, played by Matt Clark. He doesn't know Gator, and assumes he's a cop because of how he started this conversation out of nowhere. You think I'm the fuzz? I don't know what you are. This is where you see the wreck of white lightning in the background. Yeah. And I thought, oh, he's going to, that's going to be the, he's going to, they're going to tune that car up. And put this engine in that car for some reason. Yeah, exactly. He's got a fine car right here. To prove he isn't, Gator asks for a sip of his moonshine, and Dude pretends not to know where this beverage even came from. He's just like, oh, what? <laughs> that's moonshine? You're kidding. Yeah, he's like, oh, some dude just left it here. Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. I've just been drinking it. <laughs> some guy just <laughs> left it here, and I've been chugging it. I, I, did, I, I meant to look up, is it smart or capable of storing moonshine in milk jugs? I feel like they definitely talked to some people who do this for the movie i was gonna say like like whenever i've seen moonshine it's always been in in like mason jars yeah Yeah. he introduces himself and assumes dude knows why he's here he also shares that he's aware that dude isn't paying taxes on his earnings he asks dude to cooperate with his scheme with the feds promising that he only intends to send jc connors to jail the sheriff and dude is not optimistic about his chances jc connors shoot you might as well try old Swim over to China and get old mousy tongue. Bye-bye. <laughs> I just love the way he says it like it's a tiny mouse's tongue. Oh, go get mousy tongue. <laughs> Bye-bye. He skids off down a dirt road and Gator hucks the jug of moonshine through an open window into the back of the car as he drives <laughs> this away. This throw was <laughs> perfect. Yeah, it was really great. I, I feel like that was the kind of throw where he threw it and it just happened to go in. Yeah, and they were like, oh my yeah, God, golden take. One. Yeah. <laughs> Later, Dude is in his home garage with a loaded shotgun. He takes a couple steps outside to look around, but when he steps back inside, Gator McCluskey slams the door shut on the shotgun barrel. 
Startled, Dude pulls the trigger and shoots a hole in the ceiling of the garage. The commotion draws the attention of Dude's wife? It's not his wife. It's his mistress. But he urges her back inside, and she, like, scoots a little girl back inside with her. He repeatedly refers to Gator as a stool pigeon until he gets a sock in the gut for it. Gator explains about his brother, and suddenly a car pulls up with a moonshine delivery. Gator asks who the man works for. When Dude is reluctant to answer, Gator threatens with hauling him in for violating his probation. Dude admits that they all work for J.C. Connor, but that pursuing with the intent of prosecution is a waste of time because nobody has concrete evidence on the man. But it's cash money, man. It's in a paper sack. Ain't no checks. The moral of Dude's story is that he's better off killing the sheriff than trusting the law to hold Connors accountable. Sometime later, we see Gator and Dude carpooling to Pete's pool parlor. An ice cream truck drives by with a message scrawled across the side advocating the legalization of marijuana. Legalize that shit, it's gonna ruin moonshine liquor forever. Them long-haired hippie freaks. Outside, Dude recognizes a girl sleeping in a car with the name Rebel Roy painted on the driver's side door. Inside, everybody knows Dude. Dude asks if anybody needs a driver for hauling, and they all point him to Rebel Roy Boone. Gator seems to know the man's history well, and flatters Rebel Roy with his own legend, until he invites Dude and Gator outside for a conversation. They show Roy Gator's souped-up car, and he's impressed. They ask if he might need a blocker. Well, I don't know, dude. (laughs) I might. I just might. Just as they part ways, Gator notices the sheriff coming out of the courthouse across the street. Gator intentionally skids up beside the sheriff and revs the engine repeatedly as a way to advertise his car's specs. Roy comes by and tells Gator where they intend to meet up later, and Gator is officially hired as a blocker. A man follows the sheriff back into the courthouse to warn him of a rumor that a federal agent is here to investigate the sheriff's dealings with local moonshiners, and it seems like he's being advised to cut the feds in on a percentage of the take, but Sheriff Connors thinks that he and the men of his department deserve all of what they've been collecting this whole time. Connors is warned that a federal agent may already be in the county, keeping an eye on things, and we cut to Gator and Roy driving through Swampland. They pass a speed trap and the cops go for Roy. Gator, the blocker, springs into action and swerves between the cops and Roy, slowing them down enough for his boss to lose the tail. So it's funny that this is uh, uh, the same real plot of Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, Yeah. except for the difference is instead of being a blocker, he goes ahead of the runner to draw the attention of the police. Well, but that is the Bandit's purpose. The bandit's purpose is to draw the attention of the police. Right, but the Jeter. bandit is doing it by speeding ahead, whereas this guy literally gets between them and slows mm. the cops down. Yeah. But it's the same basic concept. Like, if someone tries to go for me, then you need to distract them. The cops are well aware of what's happening, and they phone in the blocker to the desk sergeant. Once Roy has fully escaped, it's Gator's turn to lose the cops on the back roads. He leads them through a lumberyard at high speeds, and eventually they crash into a stack of pallets and bury their car in wooden slats. A second cruiser shows up, and so Gator speeds along a riverside and then ramps his car through the air onto a passing garbage barge, and the cops have to slam on their brakes to avoid jumping into the river behind him. This stunt actually went seriously wrong, as the car was intended to land softly on the dirt pile. Hal Needham was actually driving for the stunt, and when Reynolds saw him miss the mark, he dove into the water and swam to the barge to help him out of the car. Oh my gosh. The next day, Gator's car is in the shop because it's, like, royally fucked up. Like, this car would be totaled in half. Dude points to a woman leaving the courthouse. We've seen her before, operating as the sheriff's secretary. Gator approaches her and asks if it's too late for a license renewal. She tells him that department closed at 5.30, but she's very quickly caught under his spell. He asks if she'll join him for dinner while he waits for the place to reopen tomorrow morning. That night, 
They're kissing a lot back in front of the courthouse, but she knows what he's up to and refuses to let him into the building. I don't know what he was up to. I think he wanted to get in and steal information from the sheriff's office like mm. he does later. Okay, that makes more sense because like, I figured, I was like, oh, he's buttering her up to like, we can come back to this and use her later. Mm -hmm. And then he never does. <laughs> well, I think it's weird that he brought her the whole way back to the courthouse before she was like, no. Like she's acting like she know. lives in she this courthouse. Yeah. Because she, she goes was... into the courthouse and closes the door behind her. It's like, you can fucking sleep in there? What are you doing? Go home. Why did you let him walk you back here if you weren't going to go back into the building? Well, unless off screen while they had dinner, he had convinced her to... Or like, she left her keys inside and was like, yeah. oh, I just went down the street with him to get dinner and now I'm back to get my shit. Sometime later, Dude informs Roy that his car is fucked for the weekend and suggests using Gator for a pickup from Big Bear while they fix Roy's car. Roy accepts that he doesn't have much choice in the matter, and when they're alone together, Dude confesses to Gator that he doesn't feel right about sabotaging Roy's car. So it's a setup. They fucked up the car on purpose so that he'd have to use Gator's yeah. car. But I was like, oh man, that's a long drive though. Yeah, all the way to Big Bear from Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought that they were yeah. talking about. No, I did too. That's why I had to say from Big Bear to make it as ambiguous as possible because I was so confused by that line of dialogue. I, I was also a little confused at this moment because like, we just got out of the shop where we realized that Gator's car is super messed yeah. up. Yeah. And, and I was it's like, like, why is this car more messed wait, up? Nothing his, happened to this Gator's car. Gator's <laughs> car is fine to do a drive now, but the other car is so messed yeah. up I can't. But some time passed between these two scenes, I guess, that we didn't really illustrate well. We cut to a moonshining operation in the backwoods, and Roy and Gator arrive together in Gator's car. Inside a cabin, we see Big Bear, played by R.G. Armstrong, getting a massage on what looks like the kitchen table. Big Bear is immediately suspicious of Gator and his invasive questions and suddenly whips out a knife and puts it to Gator's throat, warning him never to try and screw him over. How do you like that knife shoved up your ass? I wouldn't like that at all. <laughs> oh my God. That is the best line of this entire movie. It's so good. He, he's so genuine, too. Yeah. It's like, he's like, oh my God, oh I no. never even considered it. <laughs> I, I feel like, terrible about putting this to your throat, even. And he, he really gave it some thought yeah. before he answered. <laughs> well, hold on now. Because I like the spoon, but this is sharp. <laughs> Maybe we Where is my spoon? Is <laughs> what the difference to go with a fork? <laughs> Or a spork, maybe? I see you played Knifey Spoonie before. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they head inside to talk business. As they leave the house later, Roy asks if the knife scared Gator. Was you scared back here when old Big Bear pulled that pig sticker on you? <laughs> scared shitless. <laughs> As they drive around making deliveries, Gator recognizes the swampy area where his brother supposedly drowned and asks Roy to confirm this is where it happened. Roy's girlfriend, Lou, is prattling on and on about how shine running will be the death of him, but Roy isn't concerned about it. Their next delivery is to a church, and when Lou and Gator are left in the car together, she notices Gator's been taking notes in a book all day. She tells Gator about how young she was when she started masturbating. During another delivery later that night, she resumes her flirtations, and he asks what Roy would think of that. He's not going to be standing around watching us, is he? I hope not. The cops are parked across the street watching these drop-offs and judging the speed at which Roy's new driver is able to spread their product around the county. That night at a diner, Gator spots a crowd of college kids around a table about his brother's age and for some reason assumes that they'll have helpful information, but they don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a wasted scene. Yeah, and 
like I thought, oh, like one of these kids will stop them after. Yeah, like, and give a, them something yeah. to go off of. They don't even know any current students from Gator's brother's school. Lou assumes he's just hitting on these teen girls. Let's go. Roy tells him these hippie kids are worthless and that he'd shoot them all if he could. The next morning, Gator is skinny dipping in a lake beside Roy's home while Roy sleeps in. Lou is in the kitchen making some breakfast and watching Gator swim from a distance. She prepares a plate of breakfast and walks it down to him. She follows him to the end of the dock and starts feeding him scrambled eggs by hand until he bites her fingers. Well, he's in the water. Yeah. <laughs> she asks how he got out of jail so fast and warns him that he'll get sent right back if he keeps running moonshine. Gator invites her into the water and she strips down to join him. Roy wakes up back in the house and doesn't notice Lou and Gator canoodling in the water outside as he sits down to his breakfast. Even though Burt Reynolds the entire time is doing his trademark laugh. Yeah, the laugh we heard over the logos of the studios for both Cannonball Run and Smokey and the Bandit 2 yeah. last season. Back at the courthouse, Sheriff Connors gets word from the same informant or attorney or whoever this guy is exactly what's happening. Gator was released from prison and teamed up with Dude to turn state's evidence against the sheriff. Connors predicts where all this government intervention will get them. He says that the schools will be integrated and that people of color will have equal voting rights if the communists get their way. Back at the garage where Dude works, a pair of conspicuously dressed feds show up to check in with Gator and Dude asks Gator to get them the fuck out of here before people see them talking to obvious feds. Though I think it would have been uh, would have been funny to have them have like deliverance style canoes on top of their car. Oh, that would be good, yeah. Gator tells them he doesn't have a case locked down yet and they got to get the fuck out of here. Sometime later, Gator and Roy pop into a general store together and Roy tells Gator to stop talking to Lou so much because he can tell she's interested. Gator tells him that if he wants to lay claim to Lou, he needs to lock her down with a wedding ring and stop wasting her time. We cut back to Dude's place as Sheriff Connors and a few other cops question his wife, or I guess mistress, at the door. She tells them that he's not around, so they say they'll have to take her in for questioning. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll just get my pocketbook. Better go help her lock the back door, I think. The cops find her coming out the back and immediately force themselves on her against a tree. It looks like one of the cops tries to put his head under her dress, and when the sheriff comes out, they break it up. We cut from here back to Big Bear's place as Roy is loading up again. Inside the house, unsupervised, Gator sneaks into Big Bear's office to look through some of his paperwork. Outside, Big Bear realizes Gator's not around and tries to find him. Gator is transcribing numbers from a ledger on the man's desk, but sees him coming out the window and puts everything back where he found it. He starts flirting with the girl in the house as a believable alibi, but Big Bear is annoyed enough to find Gator chatting up his woman and throws him out of the house. We cut to another delivery at a bar, and the owner is mixing moonshine with Coca-Cola to fill bourbon bottles. <laughs> it's just like, whatever, it's the right color and it's alcoholic. People yeah. won't know. Uh, it kind of, uh, have you guys seen Mr. Roberts? Uh, uh, no. uh, there's a funny scene where, uh, Jack Lemon's going to go on a date and he promised, uh, this girl that he had some, some good, uh, whiskey. Yeah. If he doesn't have any. So they start just using stuff that they have to try to fake it. So like they, one of the things is Coca-Cola Yeah. and they, they put in some like iodine and <laughs> like they're putting all this stuff and mixing it together. I'm just remembering in, uh. The apartment when he's like using a tennis racket as a strainer for the spaghetti. It's <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. Jack Lemon kitchen MacGyverisms. <laughs> when the bartender hears Gator's last name, he says he knew a McCluskey once, and we learn that he's thinking of Gator's dad. He asks Gator to tell Jim McCluskey that he said hi, and it looks like Gator's hit hard by what he's doing. Like, 
it's finally occurring to him that these are people that his family is connected to and has been connected to for a long time mm. that he's getting in trouble. Which which is what, what I thought was so strange is that nobody knows who this guy is. Right. He's supposed to be like a famous guy. Yeah, like Gator. His name is Gator. That's not a name you forget. Yeah. I also feel like he's not being particularly careful with anything that he's doing in terms of like who knows what about him. Right. Outside, he sees a trash can fire and he tosses his booklet with all the evidence into the flames. Roy sees him do it and asks what the booklet was all about. When Gator doesn't answer and calls him a super giant ass, the two start beating the shit out of each other in the alley behind the bar. A crowd of local children watch the fight from nearby. The fight ends when they notice a cop watching them, but he writes them a ticket for parking their car blocking the alley. Sheriff Connors winds up at the home of Dude's parents. Dude's dad is out on the porch messing with a pinball machine, and the actor here, John Steadman, comes back in the second film to take over the role of Gator's dad. Connors picks on the man's low score in the pinball game. You gotta hit the flippers every once in a while. So. I hit the flippers all the time. The sheriff grabs Dude's dad's arm and jams his fingers in the hinge side of the door and repeatedly pinches them in it until he tells the man where his son is hiding out. Roy, Dude, and Gator show up at a house at around dusk and call to someone named JW who doesn't answer. Dude worries aloud that this is a setup and urges his friends to leave when some shots ring out and Dude goes down. Gator manages to lug him toward the car, but they're quickly surrounded by cops with weapons drawn. When it looks like Gator might have the upper hand, Big Bear shows up to clock Gator in the face and rescue the cop. That night, Big Bear and the cops are questioning their captives and force-feeding Gator as much white lightning as he can swallow. I don't, I don't know if they're force-feeding him. He's He he's, just keeps refilling the glass. He's like he's asking for it. Yeah. Well, I, but I think this might be like a Marion from... Yeah, but you got to get them yeah, to Jones. drink it as fast as you are. <laughs> he tells Big Bear about a tattoo on Lou's belly to distract him, and when the men get up to verify Gator's claim, Gator goes for an unattended shotgun on the table behind them. I was just like, uh, this, this this was kind of, this was really low. Yeah. It was like, hmm, I need a distraction. Hey, guys, why don't you rape that girl? Yeah. Good idea. It's like, what is happening? That was your idea? Or scientific. He cracks the butt of the gun over Big Bear's head and then hurls it at the cops while he goes for a second shotgun and unloads that one into the belly of another cop. Another of the cops seems to fire his weapon without looking while fighting with Gator and hits Rebel Roy. Gator knocks the cop out, rescues Lou, and makes a run for it. On their way out, Big Bear gets a few more shots off and hits Gator in the arm. Lou drags him to the car and rushes him out to what looks like a convent for unwed mothers. Mm -hmm. Gator wakes up hours later surrounded by pregnant girls and covered in bandages. One of the nuns is now taking a saw to Gator's handcuffs. Weren't the first time he woke up next to a bunch of pregnant ladies. Yeah. <laughs> this is like Every time he wakes up, it's next to a pregnant lady. It was like, this is like the beguiled Eastwood. Yeah. Honestly, like, I was a little confused in the last scene because he starts the conversation to him to try to distract him. He's like, you know what's over there in her belly? Yeah. <laughs> like, My baby. <laughs> Yo, baby. Whoa, baby. <laughs> <laughs> a lethal weapon for reference hell yeah it is <laughs> one of the pregnant girls vinnie carruthers has elected herself leader and she introduces them all before a nun tells the girls to give gator some privacy one of the other girls holding a baby overhears that his name is mccluskey and she's intrigued carruthers comes back when everybody's left to ask how he ended up here i was trying to save these two buddies of mine from getting knocked up by a homosexual oh, praise god which seems like a pretty blatant reference to Deliverance the year before, wherein Reynolds' character saves his two friends from being raped by mountain men. 
We cut away to dude's funeral in the cemetery that is also his parents' front yard. <laughs> like, yeah. that was their house in the background, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The cops are here watching the ceremony, presumably expecting Gator to make an appearance. As Roy tows a coffin up to the open grave, dude's mistress in the passenger seat laments the loss of dude's inheritance more than the loss of dude. <laughs> that wife is in Memphis. She's going to get every cent of that insurance money. We cut back to the home for unwed mothers, and the girl who recognized his name approaches McCluskey with her baby, Jimmy Lee. She admits to being a friend of Donnie's and claims that he was killed by the sheriff for protesting because Bogan County was the worst county in the state and the most in need of change. She says the last they saw of him, Donnie and another guy were dragged away by the sheriff for their protesting, and the next anyone had heard, they had drowned. Gator admits he's been a consistent fuck-up for his whole life, and his brother was nothing but perfect. He didn't deserve what happened to him. At the worst possible time, Gator has a visitor. Mr. McCluskey, sheriff's out there asking about you. Lou sees that crazy look in his eye as Gator goes for the souped-up car. He starts the engine and blows past the sheriff to get everybody's attention. The cops give chase just like he wants them to. He comes to a dead end on a farm road and has to take a hard left into a field. Sheriff Connors rides shotgun in the first car on his tail. The cops skid to a stop after they lose him around a corner, and Gator comes flying out of the cornstalks to crash hard into the cruiser. The chase is back on, and he leads them in more circles as Connors unloads his service weapon at them. They race through a dusty quarry. When Connors' driver sends their car into a ditch, he commandeers a second cruiser, and Gator swings back around to give him another love tap. I thought for sure what was going to happen right here, he sees, he sees Gator coming, and he's in the, the, the driver's side door, and Gator was just going to plow into the just car. Just plow into the car. But he just taps the back he, of it. I was like... Uh, you could have uh, killed him right here. You could have killed him right here. And, and also, this is the second time that he's done this. Just I'm just going to hit you a little bit. Yeah. But I feel like he his goal here isn't to go back to prison, which I think hitting a cop I don't know why he doesn't go back to prison. He does go back to prison. I guess, yeah, technically. Now Connors follows Gator alone, and he leads the sheriff back to what looks like the same piece of swamp where his brother Donnie was drowned. He pulls the souped-up car over a lip of dirt on the edge of the water, and when Connors comes racing up after him, he ramps fully over Gator's car and splashes down in the water. Gator watches from the shore as the cruiser disappears under the water, and only Bubbles and Connors' hat float up. He makes no attempt to, like, get himself out of this car. Yeah, this, I mean, if, if he's wearing a seatbelt, a guy Ned Beatty's size isn't going to be able to easily get out of this cruise. Yeah, but it, to me, it was such a unsatisfying yeah. end it's pretty to, to, to this character. I mean, I get the, I guess I get the, the, po- the poetic justice is that he's drowning in yeah. the water. Like, All we needed was, like, a flaming crossbow and the car to explode right when it touches the water. Mm-hmm. Done. Well, but I like again. I think the part of the point was I want everybody to think it's his own fault. And he drowned on his own. I didn't do this. But nobody's going to think that because he's been driving around, crashing into these police cars with his vehicle all day. Yeah, but I don't think there's going to be any hard evidence that he True. was here and was accomplice to this. Yeah, unless they're just like, oh, all those dents on the side of the car that match the dents on his car were from this moment when he pushed him off the road into the water or something but he like didn't. that. But the cops don't care. They'll just be like, yeah, one of ours died, so we'll get you for anything we can. We hard cut to a funeral procession in memory of Sheriff Connors rolling through town. Gator stands in the crowd posing as just another mourner with Lou. Damn. A good day die young. Well, it's not just with Lou, he's with the FBI. Right, yeah. Too. yeah. As I just assume, like, yeah, well, you failed your mission. Right. Off to back to jail with right? you. Right? Isn't that, like, 
you didn't fulfill your end of this bargain. You don't just get to be free. You yeah, killed the he didn't dude turn who you're trying evidence. to lock yeah. up. I, I thought for sure how this was going to go was that he was going to recruit uh, Roy. He was going to recruit Big Bear. And, yeah. you know. Make it a team up. Yeah, because it's like every, no one wants to be with this sheriff. No one likes this sheriff. Yeah, you didn't have to cut them in for a long time before he came around. Yeah. I, mean, I guess Big Bear does like him because he says, we never go fishing anymore. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, I guess they're friends. Well, and I feel like if you're going to be in this business, better to have the law on your right. side. Yeah. So, like, for Absolutely. all of them, it's probably fine that this guy's on the take. Yeah, as long as he's not trying to bump up his numbers. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it seems like Big Bear especially is doing fine. He's got, like, a hot lady that just gives him massages all day while he just, <laughs> other people do all the work. But, yeah, that's the end of uh, White Lightning. In uh, in the second film, uh, we have basically the same situation. Um, Jack Weston is playing this attorney from New York who comes to town who wants to nail another mayor or police chief or whoever for doing wrong. And he knows that they have a guy for that, that Gator McCluskey is the guy to reach out to. So they get him to work his way into another uh, ring of crime. And it's it's basically the same exact thing over well, again. Like, how do you do that now once everybody knows? Because, right. like, everybody well, it's knows. Well, it's a different county. Okay. So I guess they're trusting that he's insulated enough from his past by the fact that he's in a different place. He still goes by Gator. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but they give him kind of the treatment that they gave Dude in the first movie where he, he went to prison, he did his time, and he's out now. And he lives on this little shack in the swamp with his dad and his daughter from Lou who Lou has since passed away since the first film. So there was a and baby so in that belly. There was a baby in the belly. And now he has a, like a nine-year-old daughter. And uh, they tell him, you're going to go to jail for all these other crimes that we got you for unless you do us this favor. And it takes them a really long time to even get him nailed down before they can force him into this partnership again. But uh, yeah, and that's uh, that's the story there. And Jerry Reed is playing Bama McCall, who is basically like, the same thing as uh, he's more like the big bear character in the second film where he's the head honcho of the town and kind of runs all the business and that's the guy they're trying to get in trouble i was a little disappointed with this movie i i, I was hoping for more, more for more hijinks yeah and and they spent so much time delivering moonshine There's like, <laughs> i like that aspect of it i really? like that it felt realistic and i i did like that it was a drama because we've seen so many of these uh, Burt Reynolds a, as like the comedic moonshiner character, the the Dukes of Hazard, but with more comedy, and I I liked that it that it took the subject matter a little more serious and it felt more dangerous. You know, I felt like Burt Reynolds could have died at the end of this movie. Like I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't because I knew <laughs> there was I mean, a sequel. Yeah, I knew there was a sequel too, but I just mean the way the story unfolds. Yeah, mm. I mean honestly, even just the way that it started, it was not what I was expecting. Right. Yeah. Into the this the film. opening credits like, are, are right after two children dark. got drowned. I, I don't know. Like I, for me, uh, I I thought that uh, I I don't understand like his investigation method. Like, I know he's supposed to be, like, getting names down of people and, and working up the chain, but he knows it's not like – usually, like, when you're trying to figure out who the head of the organization is, that's when you're trying to, like, take names down and see who's working for who. It's like, But he knows everyone's working for the sheriff. So I, I think he, he was just documenting what get, how much gets delivered to what address where so that he could turn all this evidence over and for sure get the cop in trouble for it. But none of this leads to the cop. 
like so far the cop he hasn't have any anything direct especially since dude pointed out early in the film that everybody pays cash they literally go into his office and drop a bag of money on his desk and there's no way that you can prove the provenance of it i think that that was the thing that bothered me the most is it's like okay well i was waiting for the clever turn i was waiting for gator to be smarter than your average bear here and he didn't do it like he he didn't bring like the pen that was also a recording device like he you know and i don't need him to be like a you know james bond spy but like i figured like okay he's the really smart convict kind of guy who's going to turn the tables on these guys but instead he just drove fast and then tricked him into driving off a cliff right Mm mm-hmm but I didn't hate it. I but liked I, I liked the movie. To I be think fair. <laughs> that the feds expected him to do what you were talking about, and dude, and eventually Gator himself realized, no, what I have to do is just fucking kill this guy. Yeah. If I want vengeance for my brother, I just have to fucking kill this guy because nobody else is going to do it for me, no matter how much evidence I put together, and I don't want to hurt anybody else. So this will just be the end of it. But I feel like that plan comes in at the very end, like, right? And like, it also doesn't help because. You know, it's the Hydra thing. You, you cut off the head and, and then someone else is going to take the person's place and continue killing protesters in this county for the sake of the money that they get from the moonshine job. Like, it's not like they're going to stop making moonshine now because the sheriff died. No. You need something to drink at his funeral. <laughs> so it's he's not protecting future versions of his own brother by just killing the sheriff. Like he might have if he had led to a whole, like, internal affairs commission being established mm-hmm. in this town and disassembling their corrupt police force but i liked it a lot i think it's a it's a thumbs up for me just because i think the Smokey and the bandit movies are a little bit corny i love the stunt work but the stories are kind of silly actually the first the first one's great but yeah. the second one is dumb yeah <laughs> and uh re-watching the cannonball runs recently i realized that i don't like them as much as i remember liking them as a kid but this movie i enjoyed the whole way through yeah, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Uh, I will be giving it a thumbs down. That's fair. Uh, but uh, for reasons I've already stated. Yep. I, I probably would like Gator more. Like, I think I would like this the silliness more. It's weird because it feels like a completely different universe. I mean, it's, it's clearly higher budget, but every scene is extremely well lit, uh, first of all, so that it doesn't feel like... Gritty. Yeah, it doesn't have that grit to it. It feels like everything's on a stage mm. and... And all the characters are, are like caricature doofus people. Like all the all the dumb, like the people that he's supposed to be mocking the whole time make these silly mistakes and they're prat falling all over the place and stuff. And uh, But this, still, there's a lot of great stunts in it because they had more money and they still had Hal Needham. So you're going to mm. have cool stunts. A lot of speedboats getting demolished and shit like that. They ride one through a house on the water. It looks pretty fucking cool. But uh, yeah, it's it's worth checking out, I'd say. But it's... In my book, it's not as good as White Lightning, but I I have heard people argue fervently for either side of that equation that people were like, Gator is obviously better or White Lightning is obviously better. And I'm I'm on the White Lightning side, but I would love to hear the rest of Archer's pitch. Yeah. McCluskey three. Our director here was Joseph Sargent. He directed a handful of Man from Uncles. He directed Colossus, the Forbin Project, Buck and the Preacher. He was fired and replaced with Sidney Poitier on that. After this, he directs The Taking of Pelham 123 and MacArthur. And so far on the show, he has helmed Coast to Coast. And he's back later still with Nightmares in 83 and Jaws the Revenge in 87. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
William W. Norton was the writer. He previously wrote The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing and Sam Whiskey, also with Burt Reynolds. Um, the title, The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing, always made me laugh until I learned that cat dancing is the name of a Native American character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is cat dancing? I feel like I would love it too. <laughs> He comes back to write White Lightning sequel Gator, and so far on the show he has adapted the screenplay for Night of the Juggler from that novel. The music here is from Charles Bernstein. He also scores Gator, Coast to Coast, Foolin' Around, Cujo, and most famously, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, he also does April Fool's Day. A section of his score for this film was reused, as I mentioned before, when The Bride is facing off against the Crazy 88 in Kill Bill Volume 1. Burt Reynolds played Bobby Gator McCluskey. I think his mom calls him Bobby at one point right. on the porch, but that's the only hint at his real name. He was Quint on Gunsmoke. He's back for this film's sequel, Gator, which he also directed. He's in The Smokey and Bandits, Sharky's Machine, Stroker Ace, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Boogie Nights. We've seen him so far in Rough Cut, Smokey and the Bandit 2, Cannonball Run, and Deliverance, and we'll see him later this season in Paternity. He has a cameo in Smokey 3, but he's not... The main bandit of the title yeah. in that film, because Jerry Reed takes over the bandit role. Reynolds also appeared as himself in Archer episode The Man from Jupiter, in which he is dating Archer's mother, and that's where Archer pitches him the sequel. Jennifer Billingsley played Lou. She has mostly TV before this, and later she's Laura in The Thirsty Dead and Buttons in Hollywood Man. Ned Beatty played Sheriff J.C. Connors. His character in this film is supposedly based on real-life Sheriff Marlon Hawkins, whose autobiography is literally called How I Stole Elections, the autobiography of Sheriff Marlon Hawkins. <laughs> That's good. Ned Beatty is reuniting with Reynolds after Deliverance the year before, which I think was Beatty's first film, right? I think we said last year. It was like, it was like him and Ronnie Cox, right? Yeah. Uh, we had him in our Minnesota review of John Huston's Wise Blood. He was Otis in Superman 2, and before that in Hopscotch, The American Success Company, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. He's best known for his turns in Network, Toy Story 3, and for me, Rango, for some reason. <laughs> Bo Hopkins played Roy Boone. He was Crazy Lee in The Wild Bunch, Frank Jackson in The Getaway, Joe in American Graffiti. Later, he shows up in Day of the Locust, Tentacles, Mutant. More recently, he was just Papa in Hillbilly Elegy. Matt Clark played Dude Watson. So far, we've seen him play a corrupt warden in Brubaker, a corrupt cop in Ruckus, a corrupt sheriff in Legend of the Lone Ranger, and a corrupt cop again in An Eye for an Eye. So finally, yeah. he's on the other side of the law. He's on the right side of history. Later, he shows up as Uncle Henry in Return to Oz, bartender in Back to the Future 3, and he's Roger Ansford in the TV movie Trilogy of Terror 2 from Burnt Offerings director Dan Curtis. Louise Latham played Martha Culpepper, her first feature film was Hitchcock's Birds follow-up Marnie, and her final credit was as Marjorie Butters in X-Files episode N. Ami about a woman who received an implant from the cigarette smoking man that allowed her to live to 118 years of age. She's the old lady. Diane Ladd played Maggie. She's Ida Sessions in Chinatown. Flo in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. We saw her last as Gene Hackman's ex-wife in All Night Long, and later she's in Lynch's Wild at Heart. And speaking of Wild at Heart, she is the mother, opposite Bruce Dern, of actress Laura Dern, who appears uncredited further down these credits. R.G. Armstrong played Big Bear. He was General Phillips in Predator, Deal in Children of the Corn, and Pruneface in Dick Tracy. We saw him last as Sissy Spacek's asshole boss in Raggedy Man. Conlon Carter played Deputy. His final credit was as Police Chief Ed Train in MacGyver episode Flame's End. Love that one. That's the one with Freddy Krueger. Yeah. 
Dabs Greer played Pa McCluskey. He shows up in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Con Air, and The Green Mile. He's recast in the sequel by the next name in the credits here. John Steadman played Skeeter. He was Stewbum in Emperor of the North. He comes back for Gator but switches to playing Gator's dad, Ned McCluskey, in the second film. He was Sam in Fade to Black. He and Dabs Greer both appear together in Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. I think both as homeless men. Bizarrely, Choo Choo and the Philly Flash is not the only film he did with Choo Choo in the title because he also shows up as Norman in Chattanooga Choo Choo. Stephanie Birchfield played Jenny. She has a credit as Young Girl in White Lightning sequel Gator, so she changed names between films. Robert Ginevan played Harvey. He was Mayor Van Meter in Steel Magnolias. Buddy Joe Hooker played Highway Patrol. He's a longtime stunt guy, so I'm sure he got to do some stunts on this one. Laura Dern played Sharon Ann, Maggie's daughter, uncredited. This is technically her first film because she's uncredited here. She was only six years old on set, playing the daughter of her real-life mother, Diane Ladd. We've seen her so far in her first credited role for Foxes, and later she's in Grizzly 2, Mask, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and of course the Jurassic Park films. She also voices Sue Murphy in 44 episodes of F is for Family. But that's her in her mom's lap at the funeral when her mom's realizing she's not going to get any money for dude's death. Those are all the credits I had for this one. I think that's everything for White Lightning. Thanks again to Donovan Moser for their generous contribution to the show. If there's any other title you'd like us to review, our top Patreon tier includes a custom review of any pre-1980 title. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing whatever you choose. We'll leave you now with a trailer for White Lightning. <laughs> My name's Gator McCluskey. You know why I'm here, don't you? I said you know why I'm here, don't you? Bird Reynolds is Gator McCluskey. He's a booze running, motor gunning, law breaking, love making rebel. He hits the screen like a bolt of white lightning. Whether he's racing the law. Gonna be in trouble now. Or chasing the ladies. I don't believe in fooling around, man. You want to just say so. <laughs> Gator's the fastest thing alive. Ooh, now I know why they call you Gator. Only two things in the world I'm scared of. What's that? Women and the police. He's got a score to settle with the Bogan County Sheriff. No sheriff is gonna kill any brother of mine. Man, you better come with us, Sam, huh? He's a damn tough cookie. He run Bogan County. I'm gonna get mean, Harvey. Go oh, get that sheriff, man. You have to kill him. And he means to do it one way. <laughs> or another. All units, got a man heading after Jackson Road. Cut him out. Thank <laughs> you.
Reynolds is white lightning. He never strikes twice, because once is enough.